Welcome back to the DC Yoga Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Parkinson. Uh, we're in the studio today with uh, producer Panama, and my guest uh, this afternoon is Kevin Wardolf Cruz. Hello. Um, so uh, without further ado, we'll just get right into it. How are you feeling today, Kevin? Good. It's a beautiful spring day. It Can't is. feel better, it? yeah. We made it through the winter. Yeah, finally, yeah. yeah. Although D.C. winters aren't so bad, right? Well, this one, I don't know. Went on for a long time. It did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's start off with the, kind of the most basic question. Not Maybe not the most simple question, sure. the most basic question. Um, do you remember your first yoga class? You know, I vaguely remember it. I think I was like six years old. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And I wasn't actually doing yoga. My mother just couldn't find a babysitter. So I remember tagging along to her first yoga class or my first yoga class with her. That's so cool. Just sitting on the side. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. As a kid, I used to, um, I was one of those kids who didn't like bedtime stories too much, but I'd like demand her to do like progressive muscle relaxation. And that was like my bedtime story. So uh, yeah. So I, I guess I didn't really start yoga, but I was exposed to yoga when I was pretty young. So that's uh that's pretty decadent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So did your mom was really into yoga then? Yeah. At that time. Yeah, definitely. And it was a whole like, you know, incense burning in the class. And I think it was in a Yengar or maybe even a Shivananda style class, kind of looking back on kind of what I remember from it. But mm -hmm. yeah. And then later, I think when I really first started doing yoga was when I was in college and that was just kind of like physical fitness. You know, I didn't really get into the spiritual part at that point. I was a runner and did a lot of movement stuff. And so yoga was just kind of like a, a supplement to all of that. So that's, that's, that was my first initial exposure to yoga. Like when, as a teacher, when folks come in and say after class, that was a really great workout. Like, right. I think I started as one of those people, even though I kind of cringe at it now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Isn't that, is it, you know, I think a lot of guys come to yoga with that. Yeah. That sort of like mindset. Yeah. Um, that's pretty <clears throat> interesting. So you, you actually had yoga at your college. Yeah, I remember it was an elective and then it was also kind of like a, a class you could just take like in the fitness center or whatever. And the big, really big gym. Yeah. The Which University college of, did you go to? University it's, of Maryland. College that's Park. fantastic. Yeah. I had nothing, I had nothing like that in my college. Oh. Like it wasn't even, there weren't even classes on campus, like let alone like an elective to take. Wow. Yeah. And no, I had a whole elective. I did yoga and I did dance and I remember literally getting a D for dance cause that's how bad I was at it. But you know, I tried. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you got, you got graded on your actual like performance, not, not on like, like how much improvement you made or like how, yeah. or like how hard you tried. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's funny. Well, now I know that there are some colleges like Naropa even has a major in yoga. I have a friend who graduated from there a few years no back. No way. Yeah, so it's it's definitely kind of grown. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's mainstream, right? Yeah, yeah. I've taught a few classes at the local colleges. Like, I know GW has a program and taught a few classes at American. Um, so it's definitely something that's kind of, you know, come into that scene now. So what is that like? I mean, you so you taught a whole semester long class on yoga or it was just like yeah. a... Uh, yeah. Well, I know I have a few friends who teach the semester long classes. I just kind of came in as a lecturer, but it's, it's for, for these college kids who are really stressed out, you know, who have a lot of like stress in their bodies who are, you know, in very competitive environments. And so yoga is like this great thing that they can use to kind of like center and to kind of calm their mind and bodies. And it, it's fascinating because I actually teaching a regular kind of class in, in DuPont where I teach to, you know, mm -hmm. mostly adults of different ages versus like teaching on a college campus, I was so surprised by like how tight and how like high strong and how like, so there were so many nerves like in the room when they, when yeah. I was teaching. So did uh, you find they were all pretty receptive to it? Like, 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 yeah, it was almost kind of like a need to kind of like escape mm -hmm. from like the stress of what they were holding in their body. So, 
so yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, I think it was a lot of people kind of use yoga as like a, like a oxygen mask. And you can kind of see that with, with these folks, especially. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so what were you, um, so you did your first classes in college and mm -hmm. then, um, did that kind of, did the bug kind of hit you right away or I guess so I, I got really big into running like those next few years after college and did a lot of marathoning and stuff like that. And yeah. Not I don't I don't have the you body like type. suffering huh yeah I do and I'm I'm a big boy not meant to run like you know 20 miles at a time but I did it for several marathons and I found that my body was just like nope you know, we're we're breaking down you're not we're not working too well we hurt all the time so so I started doing yoga like more seriously in my mid 20s as kind of a supplement to that and then that's when yoga started to open up into to something much bigger than just fitness or just being mm -hmm. an exercise. And was that here in D.C.? When you were, were you, did you go right to D.C. after Maryland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I moved to D.C. about 20, 20 plus years ago. And um, yeah, I started at different studios all around town. You know, back then it was like there was yoga in really random places. Yeah, I remember, tell us about that. Yeah, back then I remember there was yoga at Joy of Motion. There was yoga at like random different gyms. Like such different styles of yoga. It was really like before yoga was a thing here mm -hmm. in D.C. Um, you know, some people even like did yoga classes, but they would call it stretching because even yoga was like a taboo word at that time oh in the goodness. city. Yeah. Know, I think D.C. like historically, I mean, even still is a little buttoned up and some things like about yoga, you know, are hard to kind of like spread around. And I, I remember at that time there was random pockets of yoga everywhere. So so that's how I first got kind of introduced in these little random pockets. Mm -hmm. And when did you, uh, so did you make, was it like a daily practice that you got into? Was it like a, you know, I'm just going to go on the evenings or like, how did it kind of evolve? Yeah. I, I remember I started to go to Tranquil Space, which was my home studio way yeah. back then. And at that point it was in a little church on 16th street and like a little side room next to the, next to the main chapel. And sometimes I'd, you know, I'd go like every evening, I'd go sometimes in the morning, I'd go at lunch. So I think at the time when I really got into it as a graduate student, and it was really kind of like a relief for everything that was kind of going through my mind. It was a time to kind of set all that intellectual study stuff to the side and just kind of drop into my body. Um, so at that time, that's when I really kind of started getting into yoga. Um, also at that time, I think it was... To th it was around 9-11, which was an interesting time because I remember yoga became a total like solstice for Earth, or not solstice, but a, a kind of soul revival during that time, you know, um, just because the, the country was suffering and D.C. was like mm -hmm. such a different place during that particular time in history. It was. Wasn't yeah. it weird watching like, you know, armored personnel carriers yeah. and like all around town? And yeah. it was so it was so bizarre. It was like all right, yeah. 1984 come true. Like yeah. here it is, you know, and in real life. Yeah. I mean, but looking back on it, like, you know, we really didn't know it was going to happen. So yeah, totally understand. <laughs> yeah. So, so yoga for me during that time really became a, t a place to kind of like ground and reconnect and space of community and kind of like returning to, to wholeness in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's, it's interesting kind of like looking back. I, um, one of the things that I, one of the research pieces I think is really interested in, interesting is around that time, um, like after the, the, the towers t came down, like a lot of people in New York City, a lot of psychotherapists thought that that it was, th tons of people were going to flock to psychotherapy. People would need counseling, all this stuff. But what they found was people actually didn't end up going to psychotherapy more. They actually ended up going to like body-based practices more, like oh, yeah. acupuncture or Reiki or yoga or massage. 
as a way of kind of releasing that tension that lived in the body. Yeah. And it was, you know, it wasn't like anything, there wasn't a news article saying do this and you'll feel better, but that's what people kind of intuitively went to at yeah, that time. Yeah, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you think about it maybe for a second, you realize the last thing you want to do is go to a therapist and talk about how you feel about 9-11, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's interesting because also like now my, my other job as a therapist, like, you know, a lot of what we're starting to understand about trauma and the body and or tr- just traumatic, traumatic experiences is that you can't necessarily talk through trauma. You have to kind of take care of the body and the trauma response that lives in the body before then you can kind of figure out the words or the thoughts that kind of go with it and how to get rid of it or get rid of it is probably the wrong word, but how to, how to cope with it or manage it. So, so it's interesting that yoga has kind of, for me, been this kind of like mind body journey, both in like my yoga practice for myself, my teaching, but also like in my, my therapy work too, because definitely I, I look at things through a body mind lens versus like a mind body lens, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, I'll, like the, what I like to tell my um, uh, students to take my yoga teacher training program um, is that we're so used in the West to kind of this this sort of breaking the body into its component parts and looking yeah. at each of the component parts. Like, yeah. like you have a mind and you have a heart and you have a soul and like, yeah. you know, I'm thinking with my mind but feeling with my heart and it's like, let's let's stop that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, let's stop doing that. <laughs> and it's a disintegrated way of looking at the self. Yeah, um, you know. Like a good friend of mine had brain cancer last summer and she went to many different specialists and many different doctors. She went through surgery and radiation and chemotherapy and everything. And I got her um, just like a pass to her local acupuncturist. And she told me, she told me afterwards, she was like, that is the first time I feel like I've been treated like a whole person in this whole experience. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because all these different experts and specialists just looked at the one part that they were supposed to look at. And in this other practice, they looked at the whole. You know, and we do a lot of this in our society of kind of like looking down at the very basic component parts of a person mm-hmm. and saying, I can fix that thing. But then the whole is like a whole different thing that many people stray away from. And yeah. we think about yoga, that's the whole kind of intent of bringing th- things back to wholeness. Yeah, or the integrity of the web depends on each little strand. You can't just fix, you know, one little thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so when did, uh, so what kind of yoga were you practicing back then? Like what, what kind of yoga was there at Tranquil Space? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely a vinyasa style yoga. Um, you know, it was de- definitely like had like an ashtanga kind of feel to it, but then kind of this other integration of different kinds of movements and kind of going off just the Ashtanga script a mm-hmm. little bit. So I, I've kind of always been exposed to that that sort of uh, hybrid of vinyasa, Ashtanga, um, and then a lot of other styles kind of like over the years too. Mm-hmm. When did you kind of say to yourself, okay, this is like really cool. I'm going to do a yoga teacher training. And what were your options back then if, when you were you know thinking about doing stuff like that? Yeah. That's funny. I, I mean, I, I, I think I decided pretty early on when I, w- when I got into it that I wanted to do that. And it wasn't I wanted to teach yoga. Like, I really didn't have the intent of ever becoming a yoga teacher. I just wanted to learn more. And that seemed to be the only kind of, like, path besides, like, reading books or, you know, going on expensive retreats to, to really kind of, like, learn more. So I, I started the journey of teacher training just to kind of explore yoga more and to understand it. It was like, there was like an itch underneath the surface and I just needed to get underneath the surface to kind of understand. So, so that's what led me to do my first, um, 200 hour there with tranquil space, uh, so many years ago. Um, and yeah, I think the world has definitely, I mean the world outside, but the world inside more so has definitely shifted since that time. Yeah. The perspective has shifted yeah. maybe a little bit. Yeah. Did you start teaching right after you did your teacher training? 
Um, yeah, I started teaching real small. Like I started teaching friends yoga, just like one on one. So it was like yoga at Kevin's place. Kind of, yeah. Okay. And and frankly, like I needed to do it that way. I, I tell the folks who graduate from my teacher training now, I'm like, start small. Don't think you're gonna, you know, be a big teacher and teach these large classes or lead yoga retreats in your first year. Just like start small, so you gain gain your own voice. Mm-hmm. And I know in that first year, I definitely had to gain my own voice. Um, I remember like telling my mom like one day I was like I'm gonna have you know for your birthday I'm gonna teach you a yoga class and so when I showed up she had like 10 of her friends there and she was like okay we're ready and I was like that's that's not the gift it was for you but okay here we are (laughs) with all your friends so in that that first year I taught a lot of like kind of small classes like that and it was great because it helped me kind of like attune to what I was looking for as far as alignment. Um, you know, I think initially it's hard as a young teacher to teach to a class of like 20 people and get to know like what's happening in everybody's body. Impossible. Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was interesting for me just to kind of work one on one with people like and see individual bodies and be like, OK, how do you speak to that or how do you realign that or how do you work with this imbalance or or that particular mm-hmm. issue? It also kind of gave the process point, you know, after of like, what are you feeling like? what what came up for you today versus like in an open class where sometimes you don't ever know what people are thinking after the class so mm-hmm. so it was a good foundation before I actually like started teaching in in studios in different spaces and did you at all this time you had just a you had a regular day job and at that time I was in graduate school I feel like I was in school for a long time doing what <laughs> social work social work yeah yeah so I have my MSW um, from Catholic University here in DC mm-hmm. um and yeah, during that time, I was kind of like part-time working and in graduate school and then part-time teaching yoga. So it all kind of like patchwork together. Full-time loafer. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> or full-time just overscheduled. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, when did you decide to finally pick up some classes and where did you? Yeah. I mean, it was, a, again, a tranquil a space. space. Um, that's when I first started teaching. I, I, I remember... I, I taught at some really local, like kind of boutique gyms around town, and that was that was fun. It was random folks who you know were over muscled and really couldn't <laughs> do too many of the postures, but mm-hmm. but they showed up with good intent and had you know had good reason to be there. Um, but I I definitely expanded my practice of teaching at Tranquil Space, where I'd been. T- I think I started back in two thousand four, two thousand three, mm-hmm. around that time. So yeah, you've been you've been in DC yoga scene a, a long time. Yeah, and I don't even know what that means, really. Well, no, I mean, well, so I, I guess, like, I guess what I mean by it is, um, you know, we had some teachers on here, like Mimi and Hawa, who mm-hmm. kind of all started around like two thousand two to mm-hmm. two thousand five, that type yeah. of area, um, and kind of just hummed along for a couple of years, and then, it, from what I can tell, around you know two thousand ten, two thousand twelve, like. Yeah. Yeah. Like yoga was suddenly everywhere. You know, yeah. like the big bang of DC <clears throat> yoga. Yeah. The world expanded. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, uh, you know, I think at some at some point, like there was a the critical kind of boom of like yoga just getting bigger. And, and up to that time, I think a lot of people like were still new to the practice. Like they knew they needed to do something better for their minds or their bodies. And so yoga became that thing. Or some people who are a little bit older had perhaps perhaps practiced since the seventies and mm-hmm. they had practiced their whole lives. And then, you know, then as the the boom started to get a little bit closer, like, you know, yoga really expanding in DC, 
um, I think that's when there were so many people kind of primed, both teachers primed to teach, um, as well as students who are primed to kind of learn and grow. So it just seemed like a natural kind of evolution. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember, um, I think it was Ariel who was in here who, uh, she started teaching around the same time too, mm -hmm. um, who said that her first classes were all people in their fifties and sixties. Yeah. Like there yeah. wasn't a single you know, what we would consider to be the stereotypical yoga mm -hmm. student today in her classes. Like yeah. it was very different back then. Do you kind of see the, did you kind of see the same thing or was it? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I saw a mix. Like most, most folks were kind of like around my age, maybe a little bit older. Um, I definitely saw some folks who had been practicing for, for decades and decades and mm -hmm. decades in different kinds of styles. Um, what kind of feedback would they give you like after a class if they did? <laughs> oh, that's the fun feedback. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can say it all on air. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. I did ask you beforehand if there's anything we could avoid. It's totally under, fair. Under the oath of confidentiality. No, it's okay. No, it, it's actually interesting because a lot of them came from very distinctive lineages like an Iyengar lineage or Shivananda lineage or even Ashtanga lineages. Mm -hmm. And so then to kind of like have this hybrid of vinyasa, like a lot of them kind of, you know, got their feathers kind of out of whack a little bit and would be like, well, what's that? Or what's that? Or could you do something different? Or, mm -hmm. you know, even like the talk back in the middle of class where people would kind of stand up and be like, hey, could you try something different? <laughs> Which, you know, it's out of the, kind of the classroom etiquette. But, you know, they Fair, knew, they knew their know? bodies. They knew their practices. Yeah. They, they wanted something different. So so that I think that was also an interesting kind of intersection of like, lineages where you always do the same thing all the time or you always kind of expect the exact same cues and then this hybrid lineage of like using different things from yoga and meditation and psychology and different aspects of movement and kind of bringing that together to ask the person to be present in a different way mm -hmm. i think it challenged the people who were more on a script to get off script mm -hmm. um, and really i think that's one of the bigger challenges of life you don't just hum along and do the same thing every day. Like the work is to be present regardless of where the path takes you. Mm -hmm. So I think that was an interesting intersection in those first few years of teaching. Um, you know, now it's very different where, you know, like uh, people are much more accustomed to this like hybrid of vinyasa and different aspects of mindfulness and psychology woven into yoga. Um, also, it's interesting because some of my students like have grown up on yoga. You know, I, I had my early experiences of yoga, but I didn't start practicing when I was five. Like, yeah. And some of my students now like have practiced their whole lives and they're 20 or early 30 somethings. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's kind of cool, right? Yeah. To have that experience your whole life. Yeah. I remember, um, my first yoga class, uh, like my true first yoga class was actually in, uh, New York city. Mm -hmm. Um, I lived in Manhattan when I was, uh, when I was younger mm. and I remember we went and did a yoga class and I was six wow. years old. Um, and I remember it because I remember thinking at the time, I, I think I still remember it uh, because it was so bizarre. Mm -hmm. It was like, <laughs> I, I don't even think I could actually pronounce the word yoga. Yeah. I was like, this is what? <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Like this is what's going on. So, I, I mean, I didn't come back to it for, for many, many years after that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I probably even, I don't even know what like 
14 year old Chris would say about like a yoga class yeah. you know, or a yoga class at his high school. You know, I probably, I was such a steakhead in high school. It probably just would have been like, I'm not doing that crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would, I would have been one of those, you know, biggest complainers and then biggest convert once I've actually mm-hmm. got to it. Yeah, sure. Well, that's, that's, that's a beautiful journey there though. Oh, you, you know, know, to have the resistance to burn through it exactly. and to come out on the other side. So much suffering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how we learn through that yeah. stuff of whatever dukkha or suffering. So. Exactly. Um, so, um, so what other teacher trainings have you done? Uh, well, one of my, I think one of the ones that really left an impact on me most mm-hmm. significantly as a teacher was in Manhattan, um, uh, Om Yoga that used to be run by Cindy Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, I did part of their 500 hour, they're part of their bridge program for their 200 to their 500 and part of their 500 hour, um, training. Also did some of their, uh, meditation trainings and restorative teacher trainings and such. Um, and that was a really interesting journey because that was kind of a combination of vinyasa yoga, kind of a, a yengar based alignment yoga, and then sort of these different practices of Buddhist meditation. Hmm. And Cindy at that time was very much of integrating all these different kinds of aspects into the teaching of vinyasa that it was threading in stuff about the Dharma, stuff about um, Tibetan Buddhism, stuff about meditation into what you taught in yoga. So yeah. It wasn't just cueing the body to be in certain ways or certain positions, but like, what do you learn from yourself or what do you learn about yourself through these poses? And Sounds fantastic. Yeah. And it really was one of those places where I started to find my, my voice. I start, start stopped sounding like my initial teachers and started like sounding like somebody who was more authentic to who I was. Um, so I went through that teacher training back in 2005, I think, mm-hmm. a long time ago. I mean, Om Yoga is no longer, it's, you know, long gone to the... The, the corporatization of yoga and everything else that changes with economics of yoga and keeping yeah. the yoga studio afloat. But still, I, I feel like that that teacher training in particular was one of my most kind of foundational moments of kind of growth or transformation as a teacher. Yeah, isn't that weird the way it happens? You you graduate or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, whatever kind of your biggest influence yoga teacher, you kind of just end up sounding them a little bit like them. Yeah. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's I've had, I've had at least one student come up to me, you know, and they'll, they'll tell me things like, you know, when I'm doing yoga and with someone else, like in someone else's classes, like I hear their cues, but I hear your voice, (laughs) you know? And like the same things happen to me, you know, when I'm in some class and I'll hear like, you know, I'm, uh, I've studied a lot with Brian Kest and Mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll hear, you know, Brian's voice when I'm in a class with somebody Mm -hmm. or even worse, Brian's from Detroit. So when I first started training with Brian, like, I started talking like I was from the upper Midwest. <laughs> you know, it was really bizarre. <laughs> like people would come up to me and be like, are you from Canada? And I'd be like, no, I'm from Missouri. They're like, well, you sound like you're from Canada. I'm like, that's pretty funny. Oh, I'm sounding yeah. like Brian. Got to stop this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I find the same with my teacher training. Like I, sometimes when we do the final teaching and people teach and then it's like, why is that voice like so, so familiar? So, no, actually I, it's my first reaction is why is that voice so annoying? <laughs> and then I'm like, cause it's my voice that they're repeating. <laughs> And sometimes, like, just because my family's, my, my father's from New York, sometimes there's a little bit of a New York accent. It doesn't, it's been blanched out by the Mid-Atlantic, but sometimes it comes out in my teaching and mm-hmm. then my students do it. And then there's something about, like, this intersection of gayness with, like, a New York accent teaching yoga. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like a gay New York drag queen kind of yoga teacher thing happening. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. Anyway, it's an amazing. So, so you're not doing that as your own subversive thing to, to produce. <laughs> you to know, produce, I, I really should have thought yeah, about drag queen ago. yoga teachers. I, yes, I could have been so rich by now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although every year on uh, the the Tuesday before Halloween on 17th Street, there's the high heel races. Yes, so indeed. A long-standing tradition in my yoga class. There's this huge pair of stilettos that that live at the studio, and they always come out on just that one particular day, and they rest at the front of the studio, and whoever wants to put them on to do poses in. Oh, fantastic! I mean, you can't really do a good down dog in high heels, but you can do a mean tree yeah. or a side plank. Or I bet, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I would assume crow would look pretty cool in crow a pair of high heels. Crow is pretty cool, you yeah. Know? <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, when, um, so when did you start doing yoga teacher trainings? How long ago? I mean, I kind of slipped right in following my teachers and as kind of a mentee, mm-hmm. um, you know, after my initial teacher training and after my first years of train of teaching, I just kind of like just sat in on teacher trainings and repeated them with my mentors who were teaching them at the time. And eventually, you know, I kind of slipped into the role of them leading. Um, so, I, I, you know, frankly, I think it was pretty early for me as a teacher to start teaching teacher training. Mm-hmm. But at first it was like cohort teaching as with my mentors and then eventually teaching solo. So it, it's been quite a learning journey, you know, both about myself and also like dealing with groups of people who all want to grow, but who can all be very different and mm-hmm. how to how to keep group cohesion, how to manage a room, how to manage a lot of different interruptions or a lot of that different suffering that comes up in growth mm-hmm. um, and still keep the keep the train on the tracks. Yeah, so, it, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing that for over, well, over a decade now. And, um, I, you know, it's it's been a beautiful part of my life. I, I really feel most at home doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something that I feel my true voice comes out in. I feel like I can be myself. I feel like I can use the wisdom that's been shared with me and the wisdom that I've kind of figured out along the way in these trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting too, is this last weekend was our last one for tranquil space. Oh, yeah, nice. we're, we're, we're closing our 200 hour program and soon closing our 300 hour program. So, so it's interesting cause this guy kind of opens up a little bit after 10 plus years of doing this stuff. So <laughs> it only took 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, um, well, can you tell us a little bit about the, maybe the focus of your teacher training programs? Like what is, or what is, what are you kind of big on in your yoga teacher training programs? Yeah. I mean, there are a few different components. I mean, one is of course, asana, you know, um, alignment right. and learning how to put the body into certain ways. Um, you know, we do a lot of assisting of physical assisting stuff of mm-hmm. like how to move the body in different ways to support the, the best alignment or the depth of the pose. And then we do a lot of teaching methodology stuff, which I think a lot of other teacher trainings don't always do, but it's like... Yeah, fair. We don't do an awful lot of that, but that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. it's like the mechanics of like putting a class together, sequencing a class, or how to voc- how to speak through the asana in a way that's coherent. And so, you know, in that, I, I think those are kind of like some of our biggest like teaching components, but there's also this whole like human growth component that happens whether in a yoga class or teacher training or workshops that that we're very big on of like how do you find your own voice through this process Mm -hmm. because ultimately like even though like some people might you know land out the teacher training sounding like me that's not the eventual goal the eventual goal is for them to be their most authentic self in their work Mm -hmm. so you know planting those seeds of trying to find the authentic voice of trying to lean into perhaps what's uncomfortable or lean into the truth um, behind the screens of things and then to learn how to then bring that forward into the spaces that you teach in. Right. So 
That sounds awesome, man. Yeah. Sounds, and do you guys do? Do you guys? How, what? How long a program is it that you guys did? Yeah, we have a we have a two hundred hour program. We have a five or three hundred hour program as a supplement. Um, was it like? Was it was it like three months, four months, five months? Was it yeah. We was had uh, the way we did it was we had the first level. We had a kind of a level one, which is like a really introductory level, mm-hmm. which was 40, 40 hours, and that could either be over two weekends or sometimes like a four or five day weekend, depending. And that was the introduction for folks who are just kind of curious about it. And for a lot of those folks, they, you know, some of them move on to the 200 hour if they're curious and then some of them kind of peel off to other things. Um, so the, the folks who continue into the 200 hour, it's generally like a three to four month program after that. Um, I think nine weekends total to kind of fill in the rest of the hours plus karma yoga Mm -hmm. and going to yoga classes and writing book reports and all sorts of other stuff mm-hmm. like that. So what do you guys, do you guys read any, what do you guys read any texts and yoga texts mm-hmm. when you're, what do we read? Hmm. I'm not remembering. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go like, for example, yeah. in mine, in mine, we have uh, four required books. Yeah. We have um, a collection of the Upanishads. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the Gita. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the heart of yoga mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, the science of breath. Yeah. Those are the four main ones that we make that we make people yeah. read, and then we have like a you know a list of recommended readings. You know, oh, it's a mile six long. pages yeah. long. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we've done too. I mean, there's so many yoga books now. Um, yeah. we, we in our level one, we start with three primary ones. One is the just it's all about asana really in the first level one, which we started with uh, the Baron Baptiste book. Oh, yeah. Like, um, Journey, Journey into, into Power. Power. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great book. I like it a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a little bit kind of about the self-growth aspect of like, you know, the obstacles that teachers put in front of themselves and the traps they get stuck in. And then we do the Cindy Lee book, which is just a, the Om Yoga. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a stick figure based book and they show all the asanas and how to sequence for different kind of energies or different times of the day. And then we have the Ashtanga uh, training manual, the oh, cool. David Swenson one. Yeah. Yeah. So th- those are just the ones that we primarily used to like get people to look at alignment or sequencing or to kind of also to start to look at themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 200 hour, we have several different texts, but the, the big ones for philosophy we use are the sutras and then also the wisdom of no escape and the path of loving kindness mm-hmm. um, by Pema Chodron. And those are two of the books that we kind of use to to get teachers to start integrating philosophy into their teaching, um, whether it's more Vedic philosophy or more Buddhist philosophy or just kind of daily philosophy of bringing those things into what they do with their, with their Mm -hmm. vinyasa. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. Um, I, uh, um, the other book I really like, which I almost did a, a requirement of is the, um, the barrel, Bender Birch book, oh, yeah. uh, Power Yoga, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, it looks really dated because, you know, she's on the cover mm-hmm. with her husband and yeah. like a leotard or, ancient looking, it, and yeah. it's like, but the like first three chapters of just her writing about like her yoga journey is like so good. Yeah. Like it is so true and so mm-hmm. good. And I think she wrote it in like the early nineties or something like that. And, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I remember it just, when it came out, it was just, it was like really, <laughs> really, it's really, really good shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things though, that about yoga and maybe we can kind of slide into this, the whole kind of, um, uh, you know, the term power yoga and the term, you know, all these terms we throw around now to describe our different yogas, um, end up, um, being, uh, in my mind, a barrier to people enter- entering mm-hmm. the yoga system or to sure. yoga classes rather than being yeah. something that promotes the yoga classes. Right. You yeah. know, people, people all the time, like I teach 
basically I teach Avita, and so there's mm. only limited amounts of types of yoga, and we have power yoga, and we have vinyasa and restorative and rocket, but I mean, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, people who come to my vinyasa class, or they come to my yoga for athletes class, and they go, I don't know, this power yoga class, do you think I could do that class? <laughs> I'm like, well, can you do a push-up? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, fine, come to the power yoga class, you'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, even the word yoga, like for a lot of people, is like still bizarre in, in yeah. some settings. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting because I think you know, as, as I've practiced and I've, as I've taught, like I, I'm, I, I don't like to label so much. You know, I don't like to put myself into a box. I mean, other people always will, but I, I, I try not to to hold myself in that box too long. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think you know the the practice itself evolves as we evolve, and you know, if we're always doing power yoga all the time, then you know, there, there's something about are you are you evolving? I mean, maybe some people are, but I don't know. There's something about that that I think people need to look into the subtleness of practice and different ways to practice versus just one way all the time. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was uh, first teaching, I was exposed to Baron Baptiste and that was like the raise, the rise of the whole like power yoga movement is really becoming big and a thing and all LA and New York and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was fine and it was good for what I needed at that time. Um, but I also recognize like that's not what I need now, at least in my own practice. Um, and I've probably like taught in that style for many years myself, but also I, I recognize like as, as I get older, as my students get older, as different kind of awareness comes up in my body that, that also like I've changed and kind of drifted from that. Um, and that's being said, like, I don't also like, I, I feel like as I get older, a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to be the restorative yoga teacher now. And it's like, no, actually, <laughs> just because I'm getting older doesn't mean I just want to lay on pillows. So. Seriously, fuck yourself. <laughs> Not that old asshole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a thing. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I also think, you know, in, in yoga, especially um, in studio settings, like, you know, we, we see primarily more women, we see primarily more white women, we see primarily people of a certain kind of like middle income or upper income status. And I think that's one of the things that yoga really, yoga teachers and yoga programs really need to look at is like how to be more inclusive in spaces, you know, yeah. um, you know, whether it's people of color or queer people or people of different economic range, you know, that I think that yoga needs to be available to all. And in a lot of you know, traditional studio settings, it's, it's still really tailored to like certain groups of people. So whether it's the term power yoga or yoga studio or studios being in certain neighborhoods or Mm -hmm. all teachers looking a certain way, like I think that yoga needs to be able to expand beyond those kind of like boxes. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, this is one of the reasons why I love teaching at a gym so much. Um, because I know this sounds strange, right? Coming from a guy who works at Vita where it's a hundred dollars a month to get a membership. But I, I mean, my yoga for athletes class last night had, I mean, compared to a yoga studio was, mm-hmm. you know, the United Nations. Yeah, sure. You know, it was, you yeah. know, all body types, all colors, yeah. all, all kinds of sexes, mm-hmm. you know, and it was really, it's really kind of cool to see that, you know, yeah. so many people taking interest in it. And I, there's so much of a, at least in my own mind, a lower barrier, there's there's a lot less at risk to certain people walking into a gym that's teaching a yoga class versus like what can be really really anxiety producing walking into a, a yoga studio mm-hmm. right like the minute you walk in it's like um, you know all right what's this incense that's smelling yeah you know, 
who's that weird looking Indian guy with the paint on his face on the picture on the wall? Mm -hmm. Like, is that a statue of Buddha over there? You know, like, yeah, yeah. There are a lot more intimidation factors with that for sure. Um, yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny in my own teaching, I've intentionally been very like non, non, uh, I guess I've been secular, like in my teaching, like I don't bring in a lot of, you know, stuff from India. I don't bring in a lot of stuff around like different gods or things like that, 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 you know, they're, they're part of the historical yoga tradition, but I also feel like going back to drag can sometimes be a little bit of a yoga drag, you know, of kind of putting on costumes or things that perhaps aren't your own. Yeah. A little cultural appropriation. Yeah. So I've been very intentional of kind of like myself, not, not doing that. I still, you know, use Sanskrit words, but it's, that's because part of that's the universal language of yoga. And if somebody comes in from another country and they don't know the words, then they'll, 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 they won't know my English, but they'll still know the Sanskrit. So, but as far as the other stuff, like I, I definitely kind of, I don't want to say blanch it down, but I definitely kind of neutralize that stuff that I don't feel is necessarily mine to kind of like own or put out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's also why some people are intimidated yoga spaces because they're different traditions or different cultures that perhaps are more exclusive than inclusive. Um, And really, I think, you know, if yoga is to expand further beyond this boom that we've had over the last however many years, it... It needs to be more inclusive of more different types of yoga, more different types of teachers, more different styles for different types of bodies. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, when you when you first started taking yoga in DC, mm-hmm. did you did you were you like the only guy in the studio, or did you notice other guys in the studio? There's also always like one other guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. And I like it's interesting. At the, you know, at the at Vita where I work, I yeah. I can teach classes where there'll be eight eight guys and two girls mm-hmm. is like not a thing at all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm always, I'm always interested by the articles that seem to come out every three years about more men doing yoga. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's like this recycled story that I think they just put a new name on it each time they send it out in the papers <laughs> sure. or whatever. Yeah. I feel like I've been interviewed for those articles for the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I teach, I've taught at Vita too at the, yeah, the U street one for, for a while. And I, it's interesting because the one thing I do immediately with my classes there is I turn them all away from the mirror mm. because I, I try to limit that stu- stuff about like comparison or competition mm-hmm. and also the stuff about like listening versus just like watching someone else. So mm-hmm. I, a lot of people are thrown by it, but it's like, okay, we're going to look out the windows. I love gonna, that. Yeah. I love that. I actually, I do the exact opposite and, mm. and here's why I always have them look in the mirror uh-huh. as a challenge to kind of say to them, and I, I will say this in class too, yeah. I'll say you can look at yourself in the mirror if you want to and look at your pose if you want to, but how many fucking times have you looked in the mirror today? Hmm. Do you need to look at yourself in the mirror? You haven't changed <laughs> since this morning. I don't know why you think you have. Yeah. So keep looking in the mirror if you want, but try not to. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I get it. Like, I get it. It's, it's yeah. Um, uh, so... I guess we can kind of um, move more towards um, your own yoga practice. Sure. Yeah. Like, how do you, like, do you have a daily yoga practice or like an asana practice or a meditation practice or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely morphed in intensity over the years. Like, I, I do a lot of different things now. And, I, you know, it, it's interesting because I also think for me, yoga at some point, like, had to be like the full asana practice of like 75 or 90 minutes, like, done in a certain way. And, 
that's definitely, I think from what we've talked about today, you can probably hear that's definitely like something that's shifted. So, yeah. you know, if you find that oftentimes yoga is something that doesn't always necessarily have to happen on a mat, you know, that it's something that also can happen in relationship, oh, yeah. um, whether it's relationship with nature or the present moment or the people that you meet. Um, and I, I find myself a lot in, you know, my, my therapy practice actually practicing a lot of yoga um, and not necessarily getting on the floor in the middle of session and doing a bridge pose. Um, but the, the idea of like connecting to kind of the, the light of a person, even a person who's deeply in struggle or a person who's really troubled in some way that that problematic behavior might kind of spill into our relationship to, to see their light and to, to be compassionate and not to put up walls and not to kind of resist that, um, but to really kind of be open to people's growth. So I, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that I, I practice every day in yeah. different ways. Yeah. Um, even kind of on the street, like it's really easy in DC just to look down at your phone and to like furrow your brow and not to look at people. And mm-hmm. I found that like over the last few years of just like looking at people and smiling, yeah. like it kind of changes changes how reality is amen brother like speak it because i do that all the time too i i'm i am that idiot who walks down the street and smiles at everybody and people think i'm weird (laughs) i'm like all i'm doing is smiling at you people yeah just to be friendly like there is nothing meant by the smile other than like i'm trying to be a happy person yeah and i want you to be happy too yeah and (laughs) i've practiced that too for a while and and now it's funny because i have the reaction of like why are all these people smiling at me and then I'm like, oh, because I'm smiling. Because you're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> it's unconscious now. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you were a runner. I was. You still run? No. Eh, no, no. I try. You know, I got a dog last year, and I thought she'd be real great for running. And I still was running up to the time I got her. And then once I got her, I was like, you are so not a running dog. <laughs> you like to, when we run, she likes to bite her leash or likes to bite me. Or, uh-huh. <laughs> so we, we stopped running together. Um, but recently I discovered that I can run by myself again. <laughs> it's not for long distances anymore, but, right. um, definitely like for clarity. Do you find there's a, yeah, that's what I was going to ask next was, do you find there's a, a sort of yoga quality to running, like the breathing and the yeah. movement and that kind of gets you into a zone? Yeah, you know? definitely. When I, when I was a, a distance or when I ran long distances, I wasn't a distance runner, but when I ran those long distances, like. I would do things to avoid the suffering that my body was in. Like I would conjugate verbs in other languages. I would do complex math problems in my head just to avoid my suffering. And now it's like a different thing. You know, I don't, I don't actually suffer because I think a lot of the suffering I was in was stuff that I self perpetuated. Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of more about like clarity. And if I do get to a point of physical suffering, either, you know, I say, do I have to back off or is this just, you know, me getting stronger at this moment and kind of, trying to be the best judge of that, that I can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, any kind of other cross training, all sorts of things. Yeah. I love Pilates. Yeah. yeah. I go to Fuse Pilates all the time. I love Very my nice. teachers. I we love Fuse Pilates. Claire a few weeks ago. Absolutely. Yeah. We love Claire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Liz, who you just met, she was, she's, she works over at Fuse as well. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 I did part of their teacher training last year, just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I've been, I've been practicing with them since they were still at flow many years ago. And Mariska's a good friend. Anyhow, but then I do a lot of cross training. I lift and do all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, so it's not just one thing. It's not just asana. But I also find that, you know, it's really easy if you just do one of those things to get out of balance in the other. So it's always this kind of cycling in of like, Mm -hmm. okay, you did a lot of this. Now you have to balance with this. Mm -hmm. So you're very intense with that. Now you have to be quiet with this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, Meditation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I teach a lot of meditation. Um, I, yeah, I teach it both in my yoga teacher training and my classes and then also sometimes in my therapy groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I lead a group every week that's a meditation or mindfulness for anxiety disorders, depression and insomnia. And so I, I do a lot of meditation kind of like with that purpose mm-hmm. of also teaching meditation too. Um, the styles I do are kind of different. You know, I, I sometimes just do the, the kind of Vipassana meditation, you know, the kind of the clear scene meditations, mm-hmm. the visual meditations, the pranayama meditation. So I find that I rotate through a lot of those kind of depending on like whether I'm more in a head space or more in a body space or energetic space. So it really kind of depends. Mm-hmm. Have you done the 10 day Vipassana retreat? You know, even though I'm a quiet person, I think it'd be really hard to be that quiet for that long. So, so, so I gotta be honest with you. I got into one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm right at the edge of chickening out at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Just one moment at a time. That's all you gotta do. Like 10 days is a long time. Sure. Like to sit with myself. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I did when I was running. Yeah, if I, I thought about the 26 miles of a marathon and I couldn't think of it all. I just think about it in chunks. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, I just have to get to that point. And if the point was something I could see was that was visual. You know, I have to get right. to the end of today. I have to get to lunch. And then I have to get to the next point and then the next point. And then finally before you know it, you're, you're beyond the midpoint and you're already there. So... I dig it. Yeah, I do that in Pilates too. I'm like, oh, right. this is really hard right now. We have 20 minutes left. I've already done 40. <laughs> I can finish this 20. Yeah, yeah. It's just it. It seems like it just seems it seems completely scary. Um, and um, uh, but I need to do it. Yeah, I need to do it because it's scary. Right? Yeah. And probably you already have a lot of practice of sitting with yourself. I do. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the scary part, right? Yeah. Is I know what it's like to sit by myself and mm-hmm. have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time I was forced, I was forced to, uh, not forced. I did it of my own free will, um, to do meditation for like an hour and a half or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember it, it, like I didn't come close. I mean, I tried, but what I ended up doing was I ended up drawing a map in my brain of the entire world. <laughs> and I swear to God, I shit you not. I got 98% of the countries on there. That's awesome. Like there were a couple ones, you know, like on the, like <clears throat> the gold coast of Africa that I couldn't get quite right. And yeah. a couple ones on the top of South America, but everything else nailed it. Yeah. Like it took like, like deep, deep, deep thought about yeah. like every map I've ever seen. And I thought to myself at the end, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with myself. And then I, like my next thought was, like you're such a dipshit. Like that was not what you were supposed to be doing for an hour and a half. Mm. <laughs> well, that's what you did. Yeah. And I mean, that could be considered a style of meditation. You know, that's the way mandalas like in Tibet are, are that they're these artistic forms that they play out in art for many, many hours or, you know, painters do the same thing with mm-hmm. art on canvas or, you know, priests in old cathedrals used to plan out the, or plot out the mass based on like what was placed in the cathedral and had to have a certain way of remembering things that way. So, so it's, it is a different kind of meditation. It's just, it, it perhaps wasn't the cue that was given from the, <laughs> the teacher, but it's what you did. Exactly. So. Yeah. Everybody else was in the room doing half pigeon and I was there trying to do handstands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's where you were and that's yeah. what you had to do. So you showed up for it. Um, so tell me how, how has your own, how has your own teaching changed over the years? 
Wow. Yeah, I, probably my students could answer that better than I could. I mean, from my perspective, I'm definitely, I, I, I used this word earlier, but definitely more authentic to who I am. Um, whether it's, you know, in the humor I use or like how I cue, like it's not to, not to fit a script or not to kind of be by somebody else's form, but like definitely kind of like more aligned with what I believe to be true or what I believe mm -hmm. to be more aligning. I, I also give a lot of permission, you know, it's like not, it's not do it my way or don't or get out of my class. It's like, okay, do what fits your body today and what fit five minutes ago or last week might not be where you are today. So, mm -hmm. so giving that as permission, I think is something that that's definitely changed in my class. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a good question. I, I think I, when I think back to my very first time teaching and I was so nervous and so freaked out that I could, yeah. I only remember, remembered two poses and kept repeating them over and over and over until I could break my nerves mm -hmm. to now. when like, I just show up and I'm just me like there, that's, that's quite a big evolution. Quite liberating, isn't it? Yeah. 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 The teaching is a, or I like to call it teaching as a form of yoga practice. Yeah. And I think a lot of young teachers feel like they have to kind of show up and, and be a certain way, be a, like a yoga teacher and whatever kind of manifestations that takes that, that that's not necessarily who they are, you know? So I think learning to show up as yourself, like I think is one of the biggest lessons as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've been teaching at, um, tranquil space for many years. What's the most classes you've taught? Maybe not necessarily there yeah. or like everywhere you've taught, like in a week. Yeah, well, like it depends. Well, it, Tranquil Space is no longer, as of like almost yeah. two years now, almost a year and a half, I guess. And now it's Yoga Works now, yoga is that works, right? Yeah. So I, I teach about four classes there a week, um, teacher training. Um, I had been teaching the regular Wednesday class at Vita for a while, but that's on pause right now. Mm -hmm. um, i trying to think what else. So I think the, the times when I taught the most were earlier on in my teaching where I just thought I had to like teach for the rent and that was way too much. Was there ever a time when you were just a yoga teacher? Yeah. At the beginning, towards the, at the beginning. And that was like 13 classes a week or yeah. something like that. I, I've heard of other yoga teachers doing like 20 yoga classes a week. Oh yeah. More. Yeah. More. Mm -hmm. And my poor little body just, no, it just started to break. So I find that, you know, Your body. Yeah. My I body. did. I've done 20 classes in a week. It wasn't my body that got problems. My mind, it was mm. like melted after yeah. 20, <laughs> trying to hold that much space and give yeah. out that much energy. Yeah. Maybe I don't remember that part now, but <laughs> scarred, <laughs> scarred. There's no memory stored from that. And my brain wasn't working right. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so you're going to keep teaching even though it, so did all those teachers pretty much go over to yoga works when they, when they took over or what, what? Yeah, kind of I mean, like, does this change the name basically? Kind of. I mean, there were, there were a lot of different things that, that kind of changed behind the scenes as far as management and operations and things like that. But as far as kind of the daily classes and the teachers, like pretty much everything stayed the same. You know, I, I think they're, you know, being in DC and also being in the year of the election, like having this foreign entity, like come and take over your yoga studio, like to a lot of people was really threatening initially. I bet. And there was a lot of ripple from kind of, you know, the, the recent political stuff that people were like, what is this? And they were outraged and, and really like, frankly, it was just, you know, just a different business taking over the studios and operating a little differently, but really that's just, you know, the way any business is going to be different than the other. So mm -hmm. As far as the teachers and as far as the classes, like it's very similar. Um, and actually it's, it, 
you know, Tranquil Space used to be that you had to go through the Tranquil Space teaching, then you had to uh, become an assistant, and then you had to teach. And in that methodology, like there was a certain kind of structure in it. And now that it's like a hybrid studio of a lot of different kinds of teachers from backgrounds, like some of that structure feels a little less, it's softened. It's, mm -hmm. it's not as, not as structured. Oh, that's the wrong way to say it, but it's, it's not as, not as intense with the structure. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you ever get to go practice yoga elsewhere? I'd love to. Yeah. yeah. Usually that's what I like to do. I like to show up in a studio where nobody knows me Yeah, <laughs> and just do my own little thing. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm definitely like one of the, was it, um, was, was it Karen Walker on Will and Grace who used to go get the tacos? I'm the wrong guy to talk okay, about I'm Will sorry. and Grace. No, but it's one okay. One of the characters I, used to go, she used to go to the secret taco place and like dress up as like a different character so she could eat the tacos and nobody would see her and it'd be a mess and she'd get taco stuff all over her stuff. That's the way I'm with practicing yoga. Really? Like I totally like love to go places incognito. And every once in a while somebody's like, why are you here? And I'm like, shh. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But I've always been like a mutt when it comes to practicing. I, I love taking other styles and I love learning new things and mm -hmm. hearing new voices, even, even if it doesn't always kind of like land, but I, I think that's one of the, one of the ways I've learned. Most. Yeah. Um, do you think we can make, I mean, do you think we can make generalizations about the yoga culture in DC? Like, do, you, do you think, do you think we are, I guess my, my, I guess my better question is, do you think we are at this point sufficiently diversified in the types of yoga that you can do in DC? Hmm. I mean, I, I think there definitely can be more diversity in DC and I don't, I don't think there's an overarching culture like, like yeah. you'd get in like Los Angeles for instance, or the West coast where there's definitely like community yoga cultures, regardless of what studio you teach at. Here, I think there are a lot of like different pods of kind of like different cultural groups around yoga, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's at the gyms or at the studios or, you know, around the different styles, around the different teachers. So, so I, I, I don't think there, you can make generalizations. Um, I will say that one generaliz generalization is most people in DC who do practice yoga, I think, and this might be wrong, but I think most are well-meaning in the sense that they, they want to do better in the world or they want to see the world do better. So whether it's because they work at an NGO or non for profit or work for the government, like that's the one commonality that I see more than other, that there are a lot of well-meaning people who take yoga, um, who do it not just for themselves, but also for kind of the betterment of the greater humanity or the world. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, I don't know why people would put themselves what they put themselves through to work in this town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, any kind of, um, resources that you really like, like online resources or podcasts or books that like you kind of go back to again and again and again about yoga? Hmm. No, you know, I'm not a big podcast person. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's some books I probably always come back to, but I usually keep those secret. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, really, I, I think it's just kind of like coming back to that space of yoga, you know, that state of yoga that that's, whether it's in the practice or in the mindset or in kind of like opening your eyes a little bit broader than, than, mm -hmm. than where you start. So, yeah. Um, any, um, any big yoga injuries that you've ever had? Um, 
So you've never been like in a class and like felt that that wet towel ripping that's a hamstring going. Yeah, I definitely had hamstring issues early on, but that was more from running. Um, didn't never had a strain. Never I've never broken a bone in my life. I'm a pretty solid guy. I, I will tell a story about a friend who had a yoga injury in front of me. Yeah. Um, he um, he was totally showing off uh, in a pose, and I think we were totally competing each other, against each other in, in practices many, many years ago. And he was doing a, a, a uh, an arm balance kind of thing that, like, maybe Galavasana or maybe, like, one-legged crow, Akapadabakasana or something. Mm-hmm. And he totally, like, fell on his face, like, flat on his face. And then he got back up, he started doing the pose again, and then I was like, what's that dripping? And then I was like, I think you're bleeding. Oh, man. <laughs> and he just had blood going down his face. Oh, and no. I mean, he was fine. It was just right. like a little, you know, whatever. But but yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those moments of like, okay, we need to stop being such dudes and competing against <laughs> each other right now. Yeah, I know. I know. I've, I'm guilty of doing it myself in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, yeah, I'm still I still do it every once in a while, yeah. especially when maybe not a yoga class, but yeah, when I get out on the gym floor and I start stacking weights on the bench press machine and sure, yeah, yeah of course I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but I always come back to listening to my body because I, I I have this thing about like not wanting to injure myself, and I think you know even when I scale back my practice so I look different than everybody in the in the room sometimes, like you know that that sometimes that's what I had to have to do. I, I had a non yoga related injury about two years ago related to like falling off a bike mm-hmm. and for months like my back was twisted and I couldn't Ooh. couldn't like stand up straight I couldn't hop back to chaturanga mm-hmm. but that also like teaches you kind of humility of like okay like if you can't do it like how do you modify how do you take care of yourself how do you not judge how do you allow healing to happen mm-hmm. um, and be patient with that healing so yeah, yeah. Um, any resources on the web for you Website, Instagram, Facebook. No, if you want to build me one, (laughs) I'm the wrong guy to talk to about that. But but if you, but look, Angela Meyer was on here before, and she, well, no, she did a shout out. She was actually looking for a personal assistant, (laughs) so she did. She did say that if anybody was wanted to be her personal assistant, that that they could contact her. So. So maybe we just, we started right. a classified for, okay, for Kevin's that, website. That's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah. No, my, it's funny. Cause like all my yoga stuff is through yoga works or Vita, or I had been teaching at flow for a little bit too. And like, I, I don't amplify my yoga presence because I feel like I get enough. And it's the same thing with my therapy practice for psychotherapy. Like I don't have a big web presence because I have enough. Um, and I'm a massage therapist and I'm the same way where it's like, like you won't, if you Google my name in massage therapy, you might find my license online, but you won't find like information about me just because it's, I'm all word of mouth and I think I have enough. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. There could be nothing more yoga than that, right? Yeah. Knowing when you have enough. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for being on the show, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. It's it been my pleasure. So pleasant to speak with you today. Yeah. Um, and um, you've been listening to the DC Yoga podcast. Uh, we will see you again in a couple of weeks. Everybody take care. Bye.